salespeople are probably going to hate me for saying this, but I don't objection handle. If you tell me you don't need it, I'm going to agree with you because you're smart enough to know what I just said. You're smart enough to make your own decisions. I'm not going to sit here and high pressure you or try to keep you on the phone if you don't want to be there. Like, okay, have a great day. Thank you very much. You have my number. If anything changes, let me know. I'll add you on LinkedIn. Let's stay connected. Welcome to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today, our guest is Nico Chesno. Nico, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really grateful to be here and looking forward to our conversation tonight. Yeah, so why don't we start out before we get into the the bare knuckles part of it. Um, just a quick introduction into your journey into cyber, just like the, the short version of how you got into this business. It was honestly by accident. Um, I was in the DevOps side of house for sales, working for Chef Software, and my former boss, Eric, uh, basically sent me a message and said, hey, do you want to work for us at Extra Up? And I said, well, I've never been in cybersecurity, but I'm sure I can figure it out. And here we are three years later, and I couldn't imagine myself in a different field. Nice. Good. Happy accidents. All right. Yes. Well, let's get into it. You are on the vendor side. So yes. CISO gets first crack. So George, <laughs> over to you. Hey, Nico. Yeah. So I got I to gotta tell you, that's um, kind of resonates with me because that's also my story as well. Like I kind of accidented upon cyber and I was like, well, I guess this is my life now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I was going to say, you have a, a very interesting background in sales as a trained engineer, but not a, a network engineer specifically uh, by education. Um, you know, just just thinking about this, like how you managed to be able to translate your logic as a highly technical, non-technical cyber professional. You know, did you find that your STEM background made that transition a more uh, seamless and successful one to a cyber career? as opposed to someone from a liberal arts background, I find. And I say this as someone with a liberal arts degree, like I have a dual political science psych degree. So I have no educational certification or qualification formally to be in this business, but I figured out a way to make it work. You're an actual engineer. You are more qualified <laughs> for my job than me. So what was it like? Um, I think uh, it has its positives and its negatives. Um, I feel like I can relate to the customer side more, the, the end user more than I do necessarily my own sales organizations. Um, the, the sales aspect for me was more hard than it was to learn the actual product, which usually I find that it's vice versa. Um, and every sales organization is different. So, um, from, from a technical standpoint, I feel like it helped me a lot. But as far as my methodology and my brain and how it works, uh, sometimes can butt heads with other sales uh, people just because of the way I think and the way that I react with the end user. Ooh, that makes sense. We yeah, we're on audio, but both Georges raised their eyebrows at that. Can we can we <laughs> stay on that for a little bit? Can you? elaborate a little bit on yeah, on, on that 
that difference of thinking and that approach? Yeah, definitely. So um, I feel like I have a greater responsibility to understand the product versus hitting the ground running and creating pipeline when I first start a new job. Because um, mm. if I'm talking about something, I want to understand it fully. I don't want just the bullet notes when I'm talking to somebody. Um, and typically with sales orgs, they're like, all you got to know is this. You don't need to know anymore. Pass it along. And it's like, happy to. But also, if I'm going to talk to somebody about something, I really need to deeply understand this to make sure it makes sense to the person I'm talking to. Because there are going to be little nuances and things that they say that if I don't understand the product, I'm not going to pick up on it. We're going to go to an hour-long phone call. And then we're going to waste everybody's time because they said that one thing that doesn't make sense for them when it comes to our product. Does that make sense? I know. Is that music to your ears, George? <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, I, I write about that almost every episode and like in real life, almost every day dealing with a lot of um, bad PRs. I, I, I kind of grew up in a, in a mindset. Um, like I, I was a, an athlete growing up and, and all my coaches were kind of about like that old quote of like, if you gave me eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend seven of them sharpening my ax. And yeah. I really that in our industry that there needs to be more of that i am so thankful um to have you as a sales professional who also uses that same approach and you, you show up well prepared to a meeting because the last thing that i really want to touch on this point she from my understanding please correct me if i'm wrong you comprehend something to a level that you can explain it in your own words you are not relying on a script which means me as a buyer I'm not listening to someone selling me a scripted conversation. I'm listening to a salesperson tell me the real story of what they're trying to sell me. Absolutely. That's that's the ultimate goal. And I think that was the hardest thing about losing my job is I just invest so much time in the process of getting to know mm -hmm. a product that once that that journey with the company is over, um, you know, you have to start over. And I, I do find a great responsibility. And obviously, I'm new in my new role. But I've spent countless amounts of hours trying to understand the market, trying to understand who uh, would benefit best. Um, and then, you know, honestly, I see certain titles that show up that show interest in our product. And my first phone call to them is, why are you why are you even looking at us? Like, I'm curious with your title, it doesn't even cover any of this stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense for us to have a conversation because I handle this, this, and this. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. And I'm not going to waste your time going through a demo with a product that doesn't make sense for you just to get more mindshare. And that's, in a sales perspective, a backwards way of thinking. But I really fight to make that the status quo in in cyber sales for sure that's interesting yeah it's like um you know just qualify out really fast um yeah i do have a question i guess since you bring to bear the technical understanding which admittedly not everyone has that background or can or maybe has the aptitude for it do you find uh that you are a resource for other salespeople or you 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 take that understanding kind of back to sales enablement and be like hey you know it's actually really helpful if 
you hear this objection, then, you know, given the way the product works, I mean, I'm trying to think about, is that a two-way street, that level of understanding that you have at the technical level? Um, um, I feel like if somebody wants to learn, I'm always a sounding board for them, but I haven't uh, really run into people being curious to use me as a soundboard. So I haven't really run into that. Okay. All right. Well, let's, um, you've talked a little bit about, you know, checking the titles and qualifying out. So let's go to the, the prospecting end of the, the spectrum. So this tends to be like the stickiest part of the sales process. And the one that maybe is the sharpest end of the stick for my co-host. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about how you connect with prospects or, and take us kind of through the journey from everything, I mean, cold open to known contacts to, you know, how just your prospecting process? Yeah, I think this depends on really where you're selling. Um, so this answer for anyone listening, whether you're SMB, mid-market enterprise, it's all going to look different, especially on the cold front. Because um, typically when you're working with more SMB accounts, um, they're more looking for that cold outreach because they don't really know what all technologies are out there. Whereas, you know, an enterprise uh, organization invests a bunch of money to research, you know, what they're looking for, right? It's, it's just different. Um, so from a general stance, I would say I tread lightly with cold prospects. Um, I, I like to have a cup of coffee before I really pitch my prospect. I want to understand who they are first before I say, hey, I have a perfect product for you, stranger. Mm -hmm. You don't know me. How do you know what I want? You know, it's just like getting to know somebody. And what I tell people all the time is like, I know you're not an idiot, especially if I cold prospect you on LinkedIn. You can look at my profile. I have certain, you know, articles about my products. You can, you know, you have DuckDuckGo or Google, whatever your preference is to look up my company. I post stuff. Um, you'll know what my company does. So I, I typically, even on a cold aspect, I let them warm up first because hmm. I just, I don't believe in cold outreach. Um, I think that's dying as we move forward. And then from a warmer and as I prospect cold people, I'm obviously looking for relevant titles, mm -hmm. companies that I understand are, you know, missing something or I've heard something about that company and perhaps I can be of help to them. Um, but it's more so, background knowledge yeah. versus oh, but let me let me let me just pause you right there. So like I just want to play it out. So, you know, cold or just reaching out outreach is an inevitable part of sales. So like, let's say you're reaching out to somebody because you've seen something about the company or you suspect that that title, you know, in that company has something to do with what you're selling. Yeah. It sounds like that initial outreach is less, Hey, I'm Nico. I'm here to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. Is it fair to say that it sounds like your first touch is actually more of a, a question rather than like, you know, here I am to do my song and dance. I'm trying to understand that, that like that first part right there where you're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. A question, uh, whether it be a personal question, question about the role, uh, mm. question about 
Are they currently researching what my product has to offer? Um, I hear there's a lot of pain regarding this. Like I saw you were this role, you know, curious if you also uh, face this. But something that I find more and more, especially in security, is people don't like giving out information unless they know you. And so questions mm-hmm. like that are a good way to get communication closed off uh, completely. And so that's why I typically just like to get to know my prospect a little bit, understand what they do, how they got into the role, um, you know, potentially go down a bit of a personal route, things like that, before I really get into those questions where I can be a trustworthy person first. I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head because I've talked about this in the past episodes. You know, we're, we're security people, right? So we're, we're paranoid by profession. <laughs> um, the amount of people who call me, like physically call me cold call, when I see a number that I don't recognize on my phone, I automatically ignore it. Like, why in a, why in a million years would, would, a, would a BDR think that you're going to randomly call me and I'm actually going to pick up the phone and actually want to talk to you? When I spend my day paranoid as hell about people clicking on phishing emails, about mm. people going to unauthorized locations, about people just doing horrible, horrible things from an IAM standpoint, stories I could tell you like offline. <laughs> hey, I just, I feel as though, and George and I have spent a lot of time talking about this. You seem to have figured out that if you humanize the process, you'll get a lot further than if you just treat us all as a quota. I agree a hundred percent. And I guess like a counter for you and a question and sorry to flip it, but if you have a request to speak to a company um, and say this BDR calls you three or four times because you had to contact us and you don't pick up mm-hmm. and they try every other form of communication would you be upset if then they called your cell phone? I think so, because I, I think my my issue is this, is unless someone actually has their inbox set up to such a secure degree that like anyone that is in the recognized authorized email automatically goes to spam, you should understand that by the, the second email especially, if I haven't responded, like I've seen the email, I've read the email, chose not to respond. That doesn't give you an invitation to find other means or other apps I might be on. I literally had someone look me up on Twitter once when I wouldn't respond to their emails. I wouldn't respond <laughs> to messages. Do you know, like my Twitter's personal. Do you know how creepy I found that? I, I can imagine. Yeah. So it's just like, don't slide into D. There's a lot of reasons not to slide into DMs. This is definitely <laughs> one of them. <laughs> there. Um, so this is, you know, I think a lot of your personal, uh, take Nico in terms of like how you choose to operate a little bit predicated on your background. Could you talk a little bit about how you work with a BDR? Like, do you kind of try to impart this methodology or like, Hey, this is, this tactic is off limits, or I would rather, you know, I work this, you work that. How does that relationship pan out? Yeah, so actually, I am more on the inside sales uh, portion of things. So, um, but I definitely uh, would say that because I'm an IC, I've been able to just do 
my methodology the way that I want. Um, and when I've worked with others in the past, I have found that they really like the way that I work and they appreciate it. Um, and, and it typically leans more on the AE approach of things of just getting to know people versus the, the KPIs and the phone lotteries and things like that of a traditional SDRs mindset. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll shift it back a little bit more to your preparation process because I really do think a lot of value in kind of what you can bring to the community. And by the community, I mean the entire industry and whoever listens to this. Uh, you've already declared earlier that you clearly place a lot of importance on the knowledge of your office solutions and products. Um, I know you also recently went through an employer change. And I'm sorry that happened to you, and I'm, I'm really happy you automatically landed on your feet. Like a lot of folks are struggling right now, and it just speaks volumes about your level of talent, your network. Um, but you know, as a result of this change, the solutions that you're offering, I'm sure, differ altogether. So, you know, describe to me your preparation process, like as a leading sales professional, in terms of learning new solutions and technologies, while actively engaging with contacts and rebuilding your network relative to the new offerings. Definitely. Um, so, I would say at the beginning, when it comes to interacting with my prospects, I beg for grace. Um, I let them know that I'm learning at the same time they are as I reach out. Um, and I take it more of a, you know, hey, I'm getting to know this product. I hear it's this, this, and this. Let me get to know it a little more. And the beauty of being in a sales organization is they have a ramp period. So you're not typically expected to have, mm -hmm. you know, a quota or things like that um, while you're learning. And so it's more just driving curiosity and saying, look, I know I landed at a, at a great company. I've done my research before I even got hired. Um, before I started working at Cato, I decided to do my own learning and try to understand it at least to a base level where I could say, hey, I know what it does. Um, I, I know kind of what pains it can solve and I know like where we can go from here. Give me a couple of weeks to understand the product and like, We've already had conversations in the past where maybe the product I had before worked and maybe it didn't, but I know what your problems are. And maybe this can solve it. Um, and as far as learning the product, I think it depends on your enablement team. Uh, I've worked for companies where they have a fantastic program where like here it took me two weeks to get through videos, uh, tests, things like that. Um, where it's pretty much guided for me. And then when you work at companies where the enablement is a little more ambiguous, um, I would say that definitely takes away from you hitting the ground running and, and engaging with your prospects where you need to hit the stop button and really focus all your efforts on trying to find a way to understand the product without, uh, without the materials uh, provided for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, to that extent, you know, you've built a very impressive following on, on LinkedIn. Uh, no doubt the envy of uh, every salesperson. Um, and I think we, we've intimated a little bit about how that's come about, but, you know, you have a cybersecurity book club, you've had a cybersecurity happy hour, 
you know, tell us about your approach there. Like, was there a conscious effort to build a personal brand or that's just like, you know, that's who you are and you didn't really know any other way. I mean, just curious as to like, how did you, I mean, there are entire courses taught to teach sellers how to use LinkedIn effectively. It seems rather natural uh, to you. I, I think I just stumbled upon it, honestly. Um, I I started my LinkedIn brand, I guess, because I genuinely didn't know how to show up for work. I had really bad PTSD. Um, and I had just started my job at Chef. And I thought, how am I going to get excited every day to go to work when my personal life is in shambles? And, um, it was just like my daily gratitude and just being who I am as a person. I think people really like genuine people. And like you said, I don't know how to be anybody else. It's just, it's who I am. And whatever I'm feeling that morning, I just, I use it like a diary, whether it's like a work diary or like interacting with the people that I now call friends on LinkedIn or, you know, sharing something about my product, whatever it may be. I just tell myself, show up every day, 8 a.m., post something, be consistent. And I stumbled onto this brand and I really wanted to create a space for all the people that I interact with because I learned so much from every happy hour. I learned so much from every book club. Like selfishly, I did it for myself. But now I feel like it's for all of us. Like it's just become a community thing that I love so much. And it's a place for people to go and talk about their troubles in cybersecurity or things that they've learned or, Hey, I have this question. And it's just like super rad that there can be that space there. And it, it just happened to be TV that started it. It was just a happy accident. So. Nice. Well, timing is everything. To be much more insightful and much more kind and positive than, you know, like, like I have a meager, very meager, like LinkedIn following. That's because I, I spend my time more kind of being the salty CTI specialist. <laughs> People are like, how do you not realize we're in cyber war right now? Like, <laughs> I learn a thing or two from you. But I really, I'm with George, man. I find you inspiring. I really think it's, it's a Thank cool you. approach. And I'll probably poke you afterwards like, hey, it's all uh, seriously, jokes aside. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was outstanding. I dig that. I dig that new voice of yours, George. Um, all right, we're gonna take, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back to talk brass tacks. Okay, and we're back. It's time to get down to brass tacks. So, Nico, I want to start with. What is your recommendation on the top two discovery questions or topics you know that you reach for in your toolkit? You know, I've thought a lot about this question, and I would say honestly, the better thing than a question is a response to your listening. So um, taking verbal cues from what your prospect was saying and responding to that such as questions like, can you tell me more about that? Or wait, I just heard you say that. Can you repeat it? Or, um, you know, let's expand on that. Or do you mind if I ask you another question? If 
they're going somewhere that you don't want them to and it's not really answering your question and maybe there's a disconnect in understanding. I think those questions are much more important than trying to find like the perfect opening discovery question for your product because they're all going to vary based on what you're selling. Um, I would say it's more of those response questions to what the, the prospect is saying. And that's kind of the biggest thing you can have in your toolkit. I dig that answer. Um, you're not stumbling over yourself to get to the second part of the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate kind of like, again, going back to your very humanizing approach where you kind of Jojo and I talk about it, like you recognize and acknowledge the dance and the whole game of it and just choose not to play. Like, let's just be people and have a conversation. Absolutely. Um, people, so, are, people are probably going to hate me for saying this, but I don't objection handle. If you tell me you don't need it, I'm going to agree with you because you're smart enough to know what I just said. You're smart enough to make your own decisions I'm not going to sit here and high pressure you or try to keep you on the phone if you don't want to be there. Like, okay, have a great day. Thank you very much. You have my number. If anything changes, let me know. I'll add you on LinkedIn. Let's stay connected. And that's gotten me so much farther as a salesperson than objection handling ever has. Hold on. I'm going to pause. Let that sink in, listeners. Because that was like a earthquake moment. Okay, I just want to just want to get. I mean, that. Mm, yes, that's all I gotta say. I'm over here thinking, like, how can I find a way to hire you? <laughs> no, you know, it actually leads into the next question perfectly. Like, what are some tips that you'd give to new sales professionals who are either just starting out in general or are at a new organization around how to balance between learning the new technologies or services while still actively engaging with prospects? I think we, as humans, love to help. Um, if you have any questions, reach out. And I would say, don't only reach out to people on the sales side of house. Reach out to people that you can trust on the end user side of house. Listen to what they have to say. Because I have salespeople or sales organizations tell me how I should run my business. And then I have you know end users that tell me how I should run my business. And then I tell them both, like, look, we got to meet somewhere in the middle. Like, I understand that I have to reach these KPIs and this quota and things like that. But I also need to care about my prospect. And so it's just a matter of meeting in the middle on my end. And when you're a new salesperson, it's very uh, important to understand both sides instead of just accepting one as the all truth. Um, and then just get a mentor. Um, and, and self-improvement is really important. Uh, when I first started my sales career, I read endless books, endless, 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 endless books, not only about the sales process, but also the technology that I was selling. And the more that you invest in yourself in learning more about both, the more successful you'll be, in my opinion. Well, and I think, you know, you recently posted about, you know, putting in the work that makes you happy, right? Not necessarily mm -hmm. like do what you love. Um, that's very glib, yeah. but it was like being able to throw yourself into something is going to feel uh, more fulfilling 
and it feels sort of like you have more autonomy. Um, but I, but I think, you know, George and I have talked numerous times on both sides, whether it's the CISO or the seller is like curiosity, like just be curious, right? So dig in or learn new things. I mean, I, I think it would just get really boring otherwise, right? Like it does. You, you burn out really fast if you don't have that curiosity point. Um, and you can find that curiosity in your prospects. You can find that curiosity in your product. You can find that curiosity in, you know, like self-development books and sales. You know, you just, you always have to keep doing something different because if you're just doing phone calls, emails, LinkedIn, in, in the traditional sales sense every day, like I promise you, you're going to burn out or you're just an animal, like kudos to you. If you have that <laughs> worth that, because I don't, <laughs> I'm not a machine. I'm a human being. I, I need passion in my job in order to make it work. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that brings me to the next point. So we have talked a lot about the balance of what we call patience and persistence, right? That is obviously needed, especially in sales. And sometimes that balance is out of whack in the case that George brought up where they were so persistent as to chase him into the far corners of his personal social media. So (laughs) would love to hear about how you balance these things. And, you know, given that we have a lot of listeners on both sides, you know, what would be your advice in terms of how to achieve you know, where you throttle on persistence and where you throttle back. I know you've mentioned, you know, you don't objection handle. I would say that in some ways that's a form of persistence because you, you offer the connection, you know, I'm out there, the relationship is there, but it's not so persistent on the product side, but yeah, just want to give you that space to talk about that balance. Yeah. I would uh, say most people would argue I lean more on the patient side um, just because I relationship build. Uh, where, you know, you'll come to me. Uh, But I would say from a persistent standpoint, I typically do that more when I see a clear need or you have mentioned that you are interested in my product or you've shown interest in the things that we're saying on webinars, white papers, etc. I would say, look, you're already warm. It's obvious that you're curious. you know, you can learn in your own time and, and look up things, but I think we can get this job done much quicker if we just have a quick phone call. Like I said in the beginning of the show, I will, I will make sure that I qualify you or disqualify you as quickly as I possibly can. Like I'll save you a bunch of time with your research. And that's my goal and persistence is just seeing that somebody's researching something. And I'd be like, I know whether or not you're going to be good for us. Once I get you on the phone with someone and we can figure this out in 20, 30 minutes tops. And then you don't mm. have to keep researching things. I, I, I like that. And I'm trying to think on the fly of how I want to characterize that. It's really it interesting. Me, it's, it's Dude, it reminds me of like how we even became friends. Yeah. Again, it's just that whole like we cut through the bullshit in like less than ten minutes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's like this is the dance. Like I, I dig that. I dig that you could say to somebody, like, "Look, man, I saw you register for that webinar. I saw you're interested. Like, 
let me save you some time, which is different tonally than saying, hey, I saw you registered for that webinar. We definitely need to get a demo. What's your budget cycle? Is there a project? You know, it's like there's like <laughs> lean forward versus kind of like back on your heels and be like, look, I'm here to help you get through this really fast. And I'll let you know if, you know, you can cut bait and run. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to think on that, but I love that you brought I, that up. Back, I think back that's up. the way it needs to be. Exactly. Like cutting, like cutting out the bullshit. Like I don't, I don't like all the fluff. I don't like all the, like, it, it's not necessary in sales. And I don't know why we feel like we need to do that. Like I shouldn't have to take you out to six dinners for us to figure out if you're right. <laughs> you know, like I, I think, I think we've all like been on dates before. And like, for me personally, I know by the first date, whether or not I'm going to be in a long-term relationship or not with this person. Like, you know, well, right away. And as you said, like, you know, people aren't idiots. Like they, you know, yeah. I think a lot of these motions are left over from the day of physically going door to door. And now I've got this precious moment and I've got to like manipulate it. Cause I've, you know, but now we're in this era where people are going to have already Googled stuff. They will have already done some level of research. They would have gone to Gartner or for, you know, there's like, there's so many avenues. So let's just like acknowledge the dance. George, I gotta, I gotta raise the flag for yeah, a yeah. second. That's yeah, something yeah. I fundamentally disagree with. A lot of people are idiots. I tend to, <laughs> I'm a CISO like most of my day, but that's, I do agree. And actually, um, just, you know, it, it kind of speaks to something that's been happening a little bit with a lot of podcasts that have been talking about the rise of people podcasting versus mainstream media. And there's that fake news persona. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That announcer mm -hmm. persona. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's not who that person is. Like, I've done enough things, like be it athletics or be community organizing, where I deal with like reporters. And who a reporter is off camera versus who they are on camera are two completely different people. I think we've reached a point in society now, especially post COVID in the content creation era. People really don't want to deal with the fake persona. They want to sit down and, and even if it's like a five minute conversation, they want a long form conversation level of thought and effort in that interaction. I think what you're talking about, Nico, is, is sales needs to get rid of the old kind of like, you know, Sunday night news approach and be like, Hey, so we're at this event right now. You're probably kind of tired. You probably had a long day. I've had a long day. I got a cool product. You might have some budget. You want to grab a drink? Yeah. That's it. No, I, uh, I completely agree. And I think the light bulb switched to where I got rid of all of the sales jargon stuff is uh, one of my dear friends. Um, I invited him over. He's a co-owner, co-creator of a multi-billion dollar company. And I said, hey, I'd, I'd love to sit through your LinkedIn messages. I'd love to see what works for you and what doesn't. Because I was just starting out in tech sales. And I just, I wanted to know because he's in tech. And he's sitting through and, you know, as I'm going through the messages with him, he stops and he goes, you know what, Nico? You want to know why you're the best salesperson? And I go, no, why? And he goes, because you're not a salesperson. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with that. And since I have, I've been more successful than I ever have been doing all the dances and objection handling and doing all this. Like, I've just been myself. And when I went to Black Hat, 
and I, somebody came up to me and they were like, I was so concerned you wouldn't be the same person in person. Ooh. Like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, you're exactly who you say you are. And I'm like, why would I be anybody else? And I guess, yeah, people kind of expect this sort of facade or like created personality online when it comes to salespeople. And it's like, that, I, I don't know how to be that. So sorry. <laughs> you get what you see. That actually leads perfectly kind of into like my last question. Um, let's let's play a game for a sec. It's a hypothetical. Okay. Let's say you're the CRO in a leading Fortune 500 firm. You have the singular power to redefine the rules of the sales game, and your investors have to go with whatever you decide. What would you change about you know the cyber sales profession in its current state in order to modernize it and make it a generally better experience for both your sales team? and the technical practitioners that depend on the revenue. Well, let's get one thing straight. I have never been a CRL, so this is my icy opinion, but um, I feel like you have to partner with other teams in the organization in order for the customer success. And what I mean by that is like, the SDR needs to be communicated communicating, excuse me, with the inside sales rep. They need to be communicating with the outside sales rep. They need to be communicating with uh, customer success and they need to be communicating um, with renewals. And that's because like we can treat every opportunity as a landing expand. It doesn't need to be figure it out right away. It's like we gotta we gotta figure out how they're gonna be successful by using our tool. And like we can expand it in other areas. That's not a big deal. But like let's get the core good. Let's let's sell them on them being successful at the core because um like investing in a customer's maturity is a salesperson's responsibility. It doesn't stop at the sale. And I think that's where a lot of sales organizations lack. Uh, is they just stop the sale and they don't invest in the customer's journey after they sign the DocuSign. Yeah, every opportunity, uh, literally opportunity in Salesforce is the opening of a new relationship, right? And as George, you said last time when we were talking to uh, Madi and David is at that point, it becomes relationship management. It becomes like, how do you you know, connect into that company's to help their business either become more secure or perform something better, more efficiently. Like, it's not just like, okay, signature on the DocuSign. Cool. I'm going to leave you with this customer success manager. Good luck. I got to go on to the next. I think it just, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I think, yeah, if, if they were responsible more so in in the whole life cycle, or excuse me, the journey of the customer, they would focus more in the sales process to ensure that they are the right product, that they will be successful, mm -hmm. that, that there's a little bit more accountability in sales. Um, my partner works in customer success, and more times than not, I just see this like, like it's the day old problem of dev and ops. You would just throw it over the fence and like, <laughs> good luck, ops. <laughs> like that's why we have DevOps now. And like I think we need to implement that process, uh, at least the methodology of it in the entire life cycle 
I keep saying life cycle. I want to say journey of the customer in your product versus just throwing it over the fence and then not thinking about it again. Because then you'll have more uh, responsibility as far as making sure in your sales process, the customer will get exactly what you're saying they'll get out of it. I just don't think there's enough responsibility there. I think one thing, though, like I really want to get your opinion of, there is what I would consider to be a toxic level of emphasis placed on growth quota. I think a lot of organizations, particularly ones that are VC-backed, have a tendency to put such a ridiculous pressure on growth numbers that are exponential and, to me, make no logical sense. And, you know, when you see, for example, we just went through essentially like like uh, a wood chipper style, you know, industry-wide um, uh, wave of cuts across multiple organizations, great organizations. I know a lot of really good sales and business development people have lost their jobs. And obviously, like, you experienced that. And I think it's driven by these unrealistic growth expectations and quotas. Do you think industry is eventually going to shift to a point where we're not just looking at year over year doubling growth and actually buckling down and having more genuine, stronger, fundamental year over year relationships with clients that can be relied upon to renew? God, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I can't tell you that it's going to change. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Um, I I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, A lot of organizations are changing. Where kind of the mindset is do more with less. And there's just this immense amount of pressure in order to perform and be the company that survives. That is the unicorn company that made it through Mm -hmm. the the uh, the recession that is you know slowly approaching us um, there's a lot of panic in in revenue backed leadership um, where again I go back to that KPI um, all they care about is KPIs and and I agree like there needs to be a balance of caring about the customer instead of just treating them as you know a dollar amount as a KPI as a revenue stream. Um, and really, again, bring that whole life cycle of a customer's journey and, and caring about it from the beginning instead of just, you know, expecting more and more and more. And like you said, that comes to that desperation where you're going to have SDRs finding your Twitter because you didn't respond to them. Because guess what? They also have a family to feed and and they got to do their job. So they're going to do it in whatever way they possibly can. And it's sometimes going to get really messy because they're desperate. and and. I think you're going to find more of that uh, coming here in the next couple of years than you'd like. But I really hope it goes to that world because I'm all about it. I want it too. I mean, and operationally, you know, who wouldn't want more predictable revenue out of customers who are staying on versus a lot of churn and burn is very costly to implementation teams it's costly to your reputation right if you get a reputation of just serving a customer for a year and then like everything falls flat and uh, it's not not good in the long term well and then also um i'm not sure if you know this but like a lot of organizations the sdr is just paid off of a meeting mm-hmm. and so typically they'll just like rush to get a meeting 
from you and then you'll waste an hour of your time and they'll get paid and you'll be like, why did I show up? I just got like pressured into this meeting and like, it's not even relevant. And I see a lot of that too, especially when quotas get increased. It's just like, how quickly can I get you on a Zoom call with my AE? I just went from heartbroken to pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to, when she was talking about everyone communicating, it just made me think of that story where you got hit up by the BDR of the organization you were already doing a POC with. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, people make mistakes, right? Like, sometimes Salesforce is messy. There's duplicates. Like, we do have to give a little grace yeah. uh, to these people because it's not always something that's taught. I, I mean, I've made mistakes before in in my sales career where i've missed something and you know you just all you can do is have a little grace and just know that the person that did that is extremely embarrassed and will think about it for the rest of their life so (laughs) no maybe not well yeah i mean grace empathy i i do hope you know, in some small part that any of the lessons and ideas offered here is, is something that can go forward. But um, Nico, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, it has been it has been an immense pleasure. Thank you. Thank you guys so much.